Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 18, and it's on the housemaid, and evil Korean women, reprehensible human beings in black and white through the eyes of director Kim Ki-young. That means What's Korean Cinema takes you back to 1960 and the housemaid. Cue lightning storm. <laughs> My name is Kennedy, and with me with a delightful grin on his face, clockwork orange style, because he knows very well we'll be discussing evil Korean women, is Hangul Celluloids. Paul Quinzel, say hi, buddy. Good evening, everybody. Yes, I'm happy. Yeah, evil Korean women. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nothing better. Well, uh, many things <laughs> that are good about what's Korean cinema, but I know I'll, we're hitting a, like a, uh, it's a great like and love for you to see this depicted on screen. So it, it's on screen and not for, <laughs> in real life. I like them in real life too. They're supposed to be evil. <laughs> no, it's fictional evil Korean women, right? Yeah, the ones that can't come out of the screen and beat you. Okay, let's uh, get into it. Uh, second episode of us uh, for one evening, but the second episode in a row for you listeners. Uh, What's Korean Cinema comes at you two weeks in a row for once, but we are efficient uh, as uh, producers of this podcast. We're recording the two episodes on one night, because we can. Uh, but uh, let's uh, get into it uh, after some brief contact information. This is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast Nofi Network. We are available on podcastnofi.com along with uh, shows on Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, and uh, sleazy cinema, and various bonus episodes as well. Our email, if you want to contact us, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook. Uh, leave a like. That would be very kind. Facebook.com forward slash POF network and follow the uh, updates of the new shows on that page. And more detailed chat about uh, progress of, of on shows and uh, various other topics in our discussion group it's called podcast on fire network and you can search it by typing in that very term our twitter handle is at podcast on fire so that's us for social media when i'm not doing this i'm writing about hong kong movies taiwanese movies uh, of a certain era like uh, we talked to art movies last episode i'm not into the taiwanese art movies necessarily like those uh, auteurs if you will uh, but um, i'm more like uh, more of a gritty genre kind of guy uh, of uh, social realist films speaking of women uh, women female revenge movies and stuff like that they were rape revenge movies yes but really like intense performers uh, that were in these movies and they, they could be didn't need to be rape revenge movies these Taiwanese movies but really iconic female revenge movies of a certain era that I like but the problem is there's not a whole lot of them there's a, it's like a short period so uh, but uh, I'm a big, big fan of Taiwanese cinema in general regardless that's available on sogoodreviews.com and I also do video reviews at sleazykvideo.com small audio commentaries on my reviews essentially so one one and a half minute of uh, reviewing instead of uh, reading my reviews for five minutes or what have you so that's uh, why i do it and i'm available on twitter as well my handle is at uh, so good reviews what's korean cinema is available on itunes rate and subscribe and that way you can have them delivered to you promptly and uh, the rating just uh, you just need to click the star rating and if you have the time please uh, leave a sentence or two about the show what you thought of it. we would love for you to do so and to see that and if you don't like having podcasts on your device uh, maybe you like snapchatting and having your dog and cat pictures and your food pictures on there for heaven's sake you eat so much korean food do you take photos of it as well and post somewhere that's a completely different thing i've never got anything to say about anything other than korean cinema 
and I can't really post stuff on my own thing all the time about Korean cinema. So if I'm eating Korean food, you just think, well, at least I'll take a picture. And all I do afterwards, the next day, is when I see someone else's dinner, I'm like, well, I don't want to see your dinner. Why are you posting pictures of your dinner? And I'm doing the same thing. So it's just the fact that Korean cinema just takes up everything. So I don't do anything else. Be avant-garde and like take pictures of your regurgitated food instead. <laughs> that that might lose me friends rather than gain me them. Sad thing is, I mean, I got up this morning. I knew I was doing this this evening, and my immediate thought was, right, I'll go and get some food first. And I went and had a Korean meal cup of coffee and came back and that's all i've done today so there you go yeah i like korean food it doesn't need to be in picture in, in picture form that's the point so <laughs> noted and i knew it already but you know i can't promise they're not going to be there but uh, anyway you are paul if you have one of those phones you are able to stream what's korean cinema if you so like if you use stitcher radio go online or uh, download their application from either the apple app store or google play if your phone uh, supports uh, either of those uh, app stores. And uh, for reference sake, as always, where is your website on the web, your Korean review and interview and essay site? I am Paul. I run Hangul Celluloid. You can find me on internet at www.hangulcelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangulcelluloid. I'm on Twitter at Hangul Celluloid. And if you want to see me in person, I'll either be at the Korean Cultural Center, sitting here talking to Kenny B, or probably in a Korean restaurant taking photos for Facebook. Wouldn't that be disturbing if uh, people wanted to see you while you record the show? Like, there's someone in there's someone in your house, Paul. Oh, how scary would that be? Oh, dear. Well, like, it's that David Lynch movie, Lost Highway, where, uh, hello, we have met before. No, I don't think so. No, I was at your house. It's like Robert Forrester yeah. having that scene. I was at your house, remember? I'm there right now. And then he calls him. I told you so. <laughs> scary stuff. It's why I told nobody where I live. Because they just, it means they can't come around. They, unless they follow me. And you see, that's just taking me to another paranoid delusion. Let, let, let's even out the player, even out the mood here. And just in general, do you have any summer plans for Hango, Hango Celluloid that you can divulge? So it's all like um, short term plans for you uh, at this point. As we briefly mentioned before, I'm hoping to start doing some screenings of what I'd like to call Korea Unseen. Um, and they're hopefully likely to take place mid late summer, if at all. Um, so. That's that's my focus outside of the site. Um, I want people to see these incredible films, um, and I'm going to push towards everything towards that, while keeping the site just running and doing reviews. And where would uh, these be held if these screenings uh, go ahead? That's the whole thing that's still in discussion. We don't know whether they should be held at the Korean Cultural Center or at a at an outside cinema. I, again, it goes down to how many people they think will flock down there. The, the KCC's. Certain light. So they're still sort of humming and hand about one of the films, which is quite hard hitting. Um, the others are gorgeous. They're beautiful. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I would like, obviously, for it to be held in a big cinema, to be full to the brim, but who knows? They are... 
unknown films, a lot of them, or they've been spoken about at the odd festival. So we'll just have to take it as it comes. Indeed, uh, we'll see what happens there over the summer and during the rest of the year. But uh, for now, let's have a rundown in terms of what's uh, ahead in the show. And uh, despite uh, having only two sections, we will still put the running times for these in the show posts. So if you want to skip ahead to one of those sections, that is uh, the review, for instance. That is uh, something you can do. And if you listening to this on, for instance, the iPhone podcast application, you can... When you download the show, just tap the show art to reveal the running times. So that's how it works on the iPhone. So first we go over the extensive career of director Kim Ki-young and then essentially finish it off with a review of his 1960 movie, The Housemaid. Sounds simple, but there's a lot of meat meet ahead here. So here we go. The plot of this 1960 movie from Paul's review of the film. You can read this by following the link that I also will put in the show post. Uh, to quote Paul's words here, I hope he stands by them. I uh, hope he's correct as he uh, describes this plot. But the housemaid <laughs> tells the story of Dong Sik, played by actor Kim Jin Kyu, a piano teacher to female factory workers. His wife, played by Ju Jung Ryu, a housewife and their two children. Having recently moved into a newly built two-story house in the suburbs, the family finds that Dong Sik's job is no longer longer sufficient to pay the ever-increasing bills, and so his wife begins taking in sewing work to supplement their income. Subsequently collapsing from overwork, she and her husband grudgingly decide that they have little option but to take on a maid to help with the household. And one of Dong Sik's students is entrusted with the task of finding a suitable candidate. However, the woman she finds for the job, which is her current flatmate, the character of Myung Suk, played by Lee Eun Shim, is a chain-smoking sexual predator whose prying and self-serving nature soon presents her with a too-good-to-miss opportunity to almost blackmail the husband Dong Sik, combined with physically forcing herself on him, into an extramarital affair. When both the maid and Dong Sik's wife fall pregnant, a battle of wills begins between the two women, and Dong Sik finds himself caught square in the middle, desperate to hide his dirty laundry from the outside world and return stability to his family home. Uh, but uh, Kim Ki-young, another legendary director, uh, man, many of them are, many of them have long careers, shorter careers, and uh, but uh, still, many legends is never a bad thing to have like on, on the block, uh, living or passed away. Kim Ki-young is passed away. But first, let's start with a quote from the director. A fairly long one, but I like this. Anyway, so, quote, I'm a scientist specializing in medicine. And that makes me close to a technician. In some ways, human beings are more accurate than machines. Of course, that depends on their expertise. As an independent producer of, of films, I have to be a type of skilled laborer. There were many times that I had to make a film quickly. At those times, I kept entertainment value in mind. Not once have I made a film for the sake of making the film itself. My taste is in looking through the camera. Filming happens to correspond with that taste. Art films are what Yu Hyun Mok makes. That's because director Yu wants to make art films. I just make films by following my heart. So the analysis I leave to all of you. But hey, let's uh, talk of uh, the character of Kim Ki-young. And if you read the summary of Wikipedia, you will read something uh, different compared to a lot of directors we cover. As Kim was said to be known for his intensely psychosexual and melodramatic horror films. 
with a focus on female characters in particular. Consider my interest peaked when I read something like this. Hey, this is new. Not just like politics and mel- romantic melodramas and that's it, but psychosexual and melodramatic horror films. That's like, what a combination. Boom! <laughs> and he kind of, it seems like he uh, corresponded well to that description. But he was born in Seoul in 1922 into an educated and autistic family that prompted, in a positive sense, Kim to go into the arts as well. While attending high school, Kim showed he had a great talent in music, painting, writing, and even had poems published and awards uh, given to him in at least a one painting competition. Having said all that, Kim's main interest was in medicine, as he said in that quote, and although he didn't gain admittance to further his education immediately, he kept at it by studying abroad in Japan, saving money for his reapplication while also realizing that cinema and theater was becoming a lifelong interest. When returning to Korea in 1941, he further immersed himself in himself into drama studies, deepening his interest in classic Greek theatre, Stanislavski's theories on acting, and around 1945 formed a theatre group called The Little Orchid. He did eventually get a degree in dentistry, so studies for a profession outside of drama and acting and creativity was achieved, so uh, he had a good backup plan, if you will. He, uh, and that happened in 1950, but he formed the National University Theatre in 1949 and started staging many Western theatre works. And eventually Kim Ki-young married actress Kim Yoo-bong, who he stayed married to for the rest of his life. Uh, she was an actress who worked uh, uh, worked at this uh, theatre uh, while studying at university herself. And as for the actual film career, or career making moving art on cellular because we're not quite there in terms of fiction film work yet. Kim Ki-young was given a chance to work on producing newsreels uh, and primarily writing the scripts for for these newsreels. Uh, and uh, with help from fellow Pyongyang National High School graduate Oh Young-jin, Kim got a job working for the United States Information Service and would go on to film 20 documentaries for them, including an award-winning one. It's it's possibly obvious, but it should be noted that these were kind of, for all intents and purposes, propaganda newsreels for the US. But the film and creativity experience gained would lead to his feature debut called Box of Death from 1955, which is... A now lost film about war orphans made on expired film stock and uh, camera borrowed from the United States Information Service. Uh, lost, but said to have been successful or noticed to a distinctive degree at the time. Fr- from the get-go, making an impact, and as did his second movie, uh, Yangsan Province, uh, which was the second most, Kore- second most successful Korean film of 1955. Even if not uh, critically, the critics were actually quite harsh, reportedly... Uh, when this movie came out. But historians and scholars looking back at Yangsan Province begin to see traits uh, being born in Kim Ki-young's work, such as fantasy elements uh, that are actually present in a lost ending to the film. Um, but uh, I don't have the context of it because I haven't seen it. Don't know if that movie is available or not. Do you know that offhand if Yangsan Province is in another version uh, available? I've looked up for it for years and never been able to find it, so... I'm assuming not. Uh, but, but it featured fantasy elements and even a genres, uh, genre blending, uh, genre mismatch, if you will. But uh, Kim was wise, in a way, to jump on the popular melodrama bandwagon too. 
forming his own production company and producing his very own, such as Touch Me Not from 1956, but further switches back to social conscious realism would follow. He didn't stay in melodramatic territory either as producer or director. And that included movies like Defiance of a Teenager. That actually got him all the way to the San Francisco International Film Festival the year after it was made for a showing of the film. So there you are, international exposure for Korean cinema at that point. And during the end of the rule of uh, Sung Man Rhee in 1960 and with General Park Chung-hee ascending to power, filmmakers were experiencing and taking advantage of a more relaxed governmental control of the film industry for a while and started to experiment. And that's where The Housemaid comes in with its theme of sexual obsession, murder, rats. And uh, in the end, and still today, it's uh, regarded as one of the greatest Korean movies ever made. Uh, Kim Ki-young took a step out of realis- realism into expressionism, and it would mark themes he would revisit throughout his careers. And, uh, and those elements in some of these movies, and uh, they also brought they are also brought up when talking of Kim Ki-young around this time, and in a few years following would be elements such as gothic excess, surrealism, horror, perversions, ooh la la, perversions, I like it, mm. uh, sexuality, and uh, which stood out compared to melodramas, other melodramas, and maybe all melodramas, and uh, the realism often found in Korean films uh, at that time. And I don't know, could the 60s uh, be considered a high point for Kim Ki-young, at least in terms of content and style, or is it just like the start of... Uh, many highlights for him throughout his career. He had a great career, but the 60s is it. They're what I would, if you said Kim Ki-young, I would say golden age, I would say 60s. He carried on through, as we'll talk about, but the 60s was his year, uh, or his decade, if you like. The whole take on him doing psychosexual horror, as it's called, a lot of his horror wasn't necessarily horror that you would consider today. It wasn't, oh, look, clown, etc., etc. The horror was he knew what would scare Korean people in terms of what those people were. If you look at the housemaid, the evilness of that female, the, the, the whole idea that a woman who is allowed to do what she likes will destroy mankind, scared the willies out of men. <laughs> and, and he constantly went back to men going mad because of their sexual desires and because of what women had done. Through the 60s, it was way before women started in Korea started having their own idea of something other than, oh, get married, serve your husband. So this was really, really shocking. And this, this was his horror. And he really pushed it to such extremes that he, he forged a name for himself with, without even trying. Every film he made just spoke of of everything that every man was frightened of. It's wonderful. I mean, I adore his work. We'll talk a little bit more about some of his other films as well. But, you know, The Housemaid sums it up. You know, this is before sexual content. This is everything that relating to sex itself is off screen. It's already happened and it's just mentioned when someone gets pregnant. Doesn't matter. This is this is about the evilness of uncontrolled women. And it's it's shocking in hindsight, but it's so interesting. 
And they're radically new, it sounds like. Yeah. Was there a lot of like, okay, let's copy that style. Like, like let's bring in 20 other filmmakers to kind of, you know, copycat uh, King Kiang. Or was he pretty alone on the block? He was pretty alone on the block for a fair portion of time. No one else had the nerve to do what he was doing. He got away with a lot that he shouldn't have got away with. And he did it with such style because essentially underneath it all, he was brave enough to do what the Korean psyche wanted. He was saying, you've got to look at traditionalism. You've got to look at married family. That's what's important. Anything that jeopardizes that will destroy us. That was his thing. And he just did it in a way that's just so evocative. It's, it's incredible even today. But essentially, he was he was on his own. He was a a trendsetter. He he was he was years above anyone else. And uh, despite the 1970s, meaning tighter government censorship after a period where they could get away with stuff, uh, it also meant low audience attendance. And uh, Kim Kiang continued working as an indie director. You know, still working, but uh, working with uh, lesser means and uh, lesser exposure, I suppose. Uh, he produced what is quoted as some of his most innovative and personal works uh, at this time in the 70s, such as the second in the Housemate trilogy called Woman of Fire from 1971. Uh, this brought in stronger colors such as red and blue compared to the original stark black and white photography. And ultimately that was an award winner even internationally for both Kim and actress uh, Yuri Yu Jung. He worked small but managed to produce box office uh, successes during this time. And uh, for instance, uh, 1972's Insect Woman, like really striking English titles, uh, sold over 100,000 tickets in Seoul. So A Woman of Fire, 1971, and a movie we'll mention a little bit in this biography, A Woman of Fire 82. How connected are they to the house? Made story-wise, or are they just variations of the same story or the same themes, kind of? Or what, what do you know about them? Woman of Fire '82 is throwaway, really. It, it it turned to melodrama, so we'll mention it briefly in a minute. But Woman of Fire in 1971 was essentially the housemaid remade from a different perspective. When you look at the housemaid, it's the evil woman coming into a family home, a family who's moving forward and building building a house and getting financially, you know, moving up and up in the world, which is dangerous, I guess. And that was the thought at the time. In 1971, he took it from the other point of view, the idea of a singing teacher rather than a piano teacher, living in the city and country girls coming to Seoul to use their feminine wiles to get what they want to make a living, to find a man, really proactively finding men rather than waiting to be swept off their feet, I guess. And that was, I guess, what frightened people at that time. If you look at Woman of Fire, there are numerous, I have to say, rapes in it, from girls coming to the city, picking up a man or looking at a man and thinking, oh, you're nice. He then takes her, grabs her, rapes her. The main piano teacher, when the housemaid's thrown out of the house, he's outside, he rapes her and gets her pregnant. So it's all about if women are forward, they will end badly, as opposed to the housemaid, which was if women are forward, they will destroy a family. It was just a change in what was in the Korean site, what frightened Korea again. 
it's probably unintentional and slightly before uh, movies like Last House on the Left and, and the kind of an exploitation type of decade. But it, it sounds like, even though it might be more nuanced than that, but sounds like it, it fits into an, ex- an exploitation decade, Woman of Fire, that is. It, it really does. It really does. And, and in the 70s and into the 80s, the influence of, of Western films on Korea grew and grew and grew because, you know, there, there were virtually no Korean films being made, as we've already said. So that influence obviously pulled itself in. And every time they pull something in, they turn it into the Korean thing that what scares us, what's going to destroy us, what's going to pull us apart. And that's what the Woman of Fire sequel was. It's not as good as The Housemaid. Nowhere near. It's gorgeous colour-wise. The, the colours, the red and the blues for, you know, calm and and sexuality are great. I mean, at that point, I'm sure the ripples coming out of Italy at that time, uh, you know, Mario Bava yeah, had, yeah, had just started yeah. igniting the giallo genre and uh, play. I don't know if Blood and... Um, Blood, oh, fuck's sake, Blood and Black Lace had come out at that point, but certainly just maybe just before. Uh, it was just my one of my favorite Mario Bava movies. It's just I, I'm sure that Ripple can can kind of be traced to Korea uh, during the you know if not Mario Bava then Argento's may may maybe his work you know color wise uh, may have uh, influenced a Korean movie or two. So um, yeah, you never know. But uh, yeah, but uh, you, you know he was productive and prolific. Um, but even Kim. Young felt the pressure from the government government while making uh, something that has no English title, uh, Ban Guillaume Rion, in 1975 and received a ban on the movie until 1981 when it was released with 40 minutes of footage removed. So that's the question again. What was this film? Do you even know that, Paul? That film, it's actually called, it's either called Ban Guillaume Rion or The Story of Ban Guillaume Rion. She was one of the characters of the film. It was set in ancient China, and it's about a, a merchant who who takes four wives. It's sort of a polygamous thing, and with infighting, etc., etc., all their lives, all their families' lives are destroyed. Same sort of thing coming from Kim Ki Young. It was funny in parts because some of the the infighting between the women and the the salt merchant or whatever he was is actually quite funny but then i i have to say i find some of the the scenes in the housemaid quite funny when i look back on them in it you know in a quirky sort of way but but what was the deal of uh, the ban there is a certain amount of sexuality in it and it's not over the top but it's certainly 70s sort of levels and i assume in terms of what was banned in korea at that time and later on i would assume it's more context rather than content they had a real thing about non-normal relationships anything that was to do with lesbianism or fetishism or anything out of the norm just wasn't allowed and was banned so i'm i'm guessing i've i've only i've seen the the bit with the 40 minutes cut out I don't know what's in the 40 minutes, but I'm guessing it's something not deemed normal sexually. So I'm I'm guessing maybe something sexual between some of the wives rather than a male-female thing. Oh, a lot of it, considering how many minutes were removed. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I can only I can only guess. But if you look, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, you've got films like Lies and Yellow Hair that were all banned, not because of the amount of sex 
because there were films that were e- easily as, as rude and as nude that were released unhindered, really. It was the, um, the, the context, you know, yellow hairs about two girls who fall in love with each other. Lies is about a couple who decide they're going to start bondage and end up going from sticks to planks to chains. Uh, wonderful film, if you ever get a chance to see it. It's absolutely astonishing. Um, and it's on DVD. But that's by the by. Um, I assume this is something that was deemed non-normal sexuality, something that has to be held back from the public because, as always, husband, wife, stability, that's, that's the only time sex is allowed. In these times in 2015, I'm of the like vague and maybe naive opinion that everything deserves to play by its own rules and its own um, content to be uh, fully judged. I I totally agree. I mean, depending on what your listeners are prepared to do, Bangs and Rion is available online. It's not studio sanctioned. Let's put it that way. But if you if you have no problem with looking at something that isn't specifically legitimately released, a quick search will find you it, and it is worth watching to follow Kim Ki Young's career through. And it is. It is quite an interesting film, but as I say, those 40 minutes are cut out of it. All right, and a few notes on the process of Kim Ki-young as witnessed and um, sort of uh, theorized by other people, I suppose. He was called eccentric, among other things, and the Tokyo International Film Festival programming director Kenji Ishizaka uh, recalled Kim was known for leaving home for several months to write his scripts, and he would check in at a cheap motel, listen to people around him, and let that feed his nightly writing. Not only his eccentric nature kept him out of the mainstream, but in general he was unconventional to the point where he he did operate on the fringes uh, on his own terms, uh, presumably, and was not known to lobby and schmooze with the journalists either to boost his name. That, that shows integrity, to be quite honest. That, that, that That's not eccentric in my to my ears. And despite his status as an important and original Korean film director preoccupied with sexuality, horror, and melodrama that earned him the nickname Mr. Horror. Not a well-thought-out nickname, but here, I'll take it. <laughs> so it sums him up, though. Uh, in the 80s, uh, his name wasn't as strong uh, in the filmmaking uh, atmosphere, if you will. Uh, being continually fascinated with said themes uh, distanced him even more from the filmmaking community, and he failed to score any notable hits, and the output slowed and uh, finally stopped at one point in the 80s. My, my question, therefore, is, was the 80s just a wrong decade for uh, Kim Ki-young's filmmaking uh, style and uh, themes? Were they too on the fringe and specialized? Yeah, really. It, it was just, he had a bad time. At that point, films like between the knees had started to come oh out. My which... God, I'm sorry, but I, that's, oh my god, what's that about? Like you know, I, I know I'm coming from things like I'm coming right out of the gutter with my like ooh, between the knees. But coming coming from him though, it might just be that very thing. I mean, I had to, I had, I just had to mention it just because you've got to see it. I mean, it's it's one of those really bad, almost western '70s films with a bit of sex in it. The son's a Michael Jackson fanatic. The daughter decides she wants sex and she's going to do whatever she can to get it. It's 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 almost carry on. It's so overly pushed as funny. That sort of film was big. That's what people were looking for. They were looking for the future. They were looking for humor. They were looking for 
just a bit of an escape, whereas Kim Ki Young was always about this is what scares you, this is what's going to destroy Korea, and it just didn't fit. Compared to like an Im Kwon Tech, it seemed like he was very, he was hell bent on advancing this theme for decades, whether it was effective from decade to decade or from movie to movie or not. Um, I mean, I mean, it doesn't sound like a director who made like a children's comedy and then this hypersexual movie and then a children's comedy additionally. It's like a one mood kind of thing almost. Pretty much, and it, it, it moved within itself. The the core was always something dark and anti, anti-people, if you like. I mean, if you look, you mentioned earlier on, I'm just going to grab it very quickly, you mentioned Insect Woman. If you look at that, that was, that was 70, I think it was 72. In that, similar story about, you know, disruption of men. Men are found to be in an insane asylum because they've succumbed to the base instincts of sex and have let women get to them and it's driven them mad. That sort of was his tail end. By that stage, people didn't want to hear about it anymore. And it does have to be said on a completely sideline, Insect Woman was actually the first Korean film that had actual nudity in it and Kim Ki-young is to thank for that. Um, and if you, we'll talk a little bit more about his effect, but if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be where we are with Korean cinema today. There's a scene in which a guy grabs a girl, an insane guy grabs a girl and starts to make love to her on top of a glass table. And Kim Ki-young takes the camera under the glass table. He rips her blouse and you see her breast. Knowing about the films that had come before insect woman when i saw that in the korean cultural center i nearly leapt out of my seat and screamed at the screen going look it's a breast (laughs) these are the basics of men and women (laughs) okay paul women have breasts (laughs) it was so shocking compared to what's been before and even what was going on at the time that it opened doors if you like it really changed Korean cinema, and it almost led to the very films that that would shun Kim Ki Young, the between the knees, the rumps, the sex comedies that he didn't fit into, and the sexuality that they showed was only there because he'd opened the door by finally allowing nudity to be seen on screen. You know, so he really he shot himself in the foot, really. And like judging from the housemate, and if you listen to this discussion, it might be easy to assume that he hated women. But uh, like judging by the housemate, I think there's a case for male weakness as well. Like uh, so, and and I mean, uh, is that a theme? It's just a question I thought up now. Like, did it ever come off as kind of like, oh my god, or he's pushing a uh, an agenda that's not sound, or did it come off as balanced uh, in your eyes? Uh, I always saw him as, as balanced. Yes, he has evil women. But if, if you look at, for example, the housemaid, the wife is the dutiful woman. He, he says to her at some stage, if I'd done something wrong, if I'd robbed someone, would you stand by me? And she says, heart and soul. He said, if I'd murdered someone, would you stand by me? She goes, yes, of course. He says, if I'd impregnated someone, and she says, I can't look at you, get away from me. Um, you know, and it, it's that sort of thing. She... Within the bad characters, he's always got the dutiful wife as well. I don't think he was against women. I think he was sort of saying men are so weak that if an evil woman appears, 
a man will fall prey to her and it will destroy him. So therefore, you need to be careful. I, I see him as balanced. Yeah, even after one movie, I, I, got, I got that exp- impression too. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's probably very, very true if I explore a little bit more. And as often happens with enthusiastic film fans being out there, a new generation of South Korean film fans would discover Kim Ki-young through you know, subsequently the internet, uh, through uh, rare VHS copies of his films being traded and circulated. And this cult was picked up on by the Dong Sung Cinematheque, which is an art house theater in Seoul, who ran a retrospective of his, of his films, uh, raising the profile again of Kim Ki-young, both in Korea and internationally. And in 1996, his film received a five-movie-strong retrospective at the Tokyo International Film Festival and uh, Pusan International Film Festival in its second year continued enlightening new audiences of Kim ki uh, legacy and uh, the enthusiasm from the audience was very much felt through the feedback given to the organizers. The actual sad ending to this positive wave of popularity is that while preparing a comeback film to be titled Diabolical Women, here we go again, and having received an invitation to Berlin's International Film Festival, uh, Kim Ki-young and his wife were killed in a house fire caused by an electrical short circuit on February 5th in 1998. I didn't know this, Paul, and while I did the research, I I didn't read it all through. I like did it in stages, and that it was surprising to me. I was kind of bummed out for a little while, like, oh man, that's. I mean, accidents and tragedies happen all all the time, of course. But I was like, there, oh my god, and they both died too. They were married for so so such a long time. But it happens, of course, and it's a sad ending to to it all. But obviously, the celluloid is very much immortalized, and uh, interest around the world at festivals continued, and uh, it's going to be. Seemed like, anyway, it's going to be hard to forget Kim Ki-young's uh, legacy, despite some of it being lost. I mean, so much of it is there in print or has been seen and is documented and all of that. So um, did he use her in many of his movies, by the way, his wife? Do you know that offhand? Not any, as far as I know. She she did the whole theater thing, and then I think she went to be a dutiful wife. And and I guess the final question of it all before we review, like, can, can there be argued to be influences in current directors uh, or directors over the years that listeners might have heard of, uh, like um, Kim Ki-young's uh, presence felt in big old mainstream successful international Korean movies you think it's a really double-edged sword like as you probably guess I'm a huge Kim Hee-young fan so I've you know spoken about him to several directors when when we've done interviews and stuff and if you take a huge director like Ryu Sung-won big you know fight scenes blah 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 he was hugely influenced by him if you look at the director of Happy End Jung Ji-woo one of my favorite films ever he was hugely influenced by them and you can actually see you can almost see his influence in them on the other hand when i interviewed im sang su who did the reinterpretation of the housemaid i said okay you've you've done a a remake of the housemaid by kim ki young fuck you it's not a house it's not a remake (laughs) apart from the fuck you it was virtually that it was like don't ever call it a remake he actually said and for anybody who's interested, the interviews on my site go and have a, a read and whatever he talks about the housemaid original and the newer version a lot. But he actually said he was asked to do it. He knew it was by Kim Ki Young, and I'm almost quoting from memory here. He said he found no honor in it and was not influenced by it in any way. 
So you just, you get the other side of it where he's just saying, and I think he was lying, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> he's sort of saying it, he had no effect on me, uh, didn't affect anything I do. And I, I think it was more him trying to make the housemaid reinterpretation be seen as an independent thing rather than a remake. But he did specifically say, Kim Ki Young means nothing to me, which I think is quite sad because the amount of sexuality and politics and this is Korea that's in Im Sang Soo's work wouldn't be in Im Sang Soo's work if it hadn't been for Kim Ki Young. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, certainly uh, get to the housemate, uh, housemate, housemaid remake reinterpretation um, quite uh, quite soon. But let's let's uh, jump into a review and my quick opinion, and I ask you, you this question at the same time: Is it wrong to say I had a blast with this film? It's not wrong at all. It's phenomenally fun. It is because considering how it ends, which we won't reveal, I think it. You know how it ends, like it's this uh, little coda. To the film, I think it's safe to say Kim Ki Young wanted to have some fun too. It, it's a very entertaining, expertly handled descent into kind of messed up darkness, violence, and reprehensible human nature and actions. Notice I didn't say reprehensible like female nature, or because I think, as we said, this is both uh, females and males showing off their worth sides. And I'm not saying female first in like it say that they're way worse in this movie that that's just the way i'm saying it here so so that's uh that's uh, my quick opinion in, in your own words though for the sake of the structure to the show in short what do you think of the housemaid the housemaid may very well be the best korean film ever made even better than sopionje considering how you waxed lyrical about that last week i i love sopionje but damn it i forgot about sopionje it. <laughs> darn it without the housemaid Korean cinema wouldn't have moved forward the way it did. He he redefined everything, and he did it perfectly. He hit darkness that had never been hit before, and he managed to do it in a way that when you watch it, you enjoy yourself thoroughly from start to finish. The, the disgraceful actions of that housemaid, the way she deals with a rat, which we'll talk about I've got a grin on my face now, the same as I had when I rewatched it. I've seen The Housemaid hundreds of times. So influential, so much fun, and so darkly, darkly wonderful. There's a prologue, kind of a thing, where you see a family uh, read a story about, did you read that uh, this, uh, this husband had an affair with his housemaid? You know, it opens up questions, of course, that if it's expected to fall for the housemaid because she's such a core in the household but that but that obviously opens up the question is that the male's easy way out uh, mm. they're like they so to say rational thinking to to have uh, to commit adultery so but it's an easy uh, not easy it's an interesting question brought up and and then it all because it's a 60s movie maybe only because it's a 60s movie. The music during credits is straight uh, could be straight out of an American B movie that concerns monsters or sorcerers, which is either and it's even present when present when the first student that uh, the character of Quack is suspended from the factory when she runs off. There's this hard music sting, and I'm wondering, do you think that it's King Ki Young's particular tool here, or is just a common 1960s way of emphasizing stuff through music stings and uh, dramatic, almost like public domain music that you could heard in, could probably hear in fucking Night of the Living Dead as well. 
Like it's that dramatic, you know. But 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 do you think it's his particular tool here, despite? I think it's his tool. There there are other films, you know, suddenly in the middle midst of night that have that sort of thing, but nowhere near as horrifically as the housemate. It from the first frame, it just you almost turn the volume down. It's it just blasts your head off, and it keeps going. And even the title card is sort of runny, like uh, Kinder Blood. So it's like, okay. And I mean, on, on, on a very sideline, I love the fact that in with all that really hard-hitting music, you've got the two kids playing with a cat's cradle, and it just gets more and more complicated as the titles go on. And essentially, he's just telling you what's happening in the film. It's just, it's going to get more and more twisted, entangled, as the music gets more and more twisted and entangled to the point where it almost it almost jumps out of the TV. Um, this this is his thing. It's an it's an extrapolation of everything before it, but it's his. He will show up uh, physically in the movie too. Like the, he likes to hammer on points through uh, again, like genre fair, global genre fair, like lightning storms hits when a certain dramatic thing happens in the in the household, and it almost seems like he delights in featuring that because it's not a serious statement about this and this and this uh, that's what the lightning storm signifies but it seems i don't know i i can't say for certain but it seems like he's having fun i think he's having fun i've seen a lot of korean films and korean films have a lot of heavy storms in them i've never ever seen a film where there's been more rain and more lightning than the housemaid every time something happens that the lightning cracks and there's rain outside i'm surprised that poor housemaid didn't drown she spent so much time outside in the rain <laughs> he's pushing everything to the extremes and it works like a charm but having said all of that the camera work is very sparse uh, it's a calmly made movie with style but not like frantic style or anything and the restoration that uh, is available shows a crisp natural image and therefore like it's that's how it's made it's made kind of very naturally very straightforward and which is actually if you watch like the criterion version of it that's based on the korean film archive world cinema foundation restoration it it's gloriously looking but it's uh, one of those movies that's so old that you're not surprised that let, let me say this uh, first of all about 15 minutes or so features footage from a very unstable section of the print that looks like it's rescued in the nick of time that like it looks like it's uh almost bubbling on screen like it's so deteriorated but so it's one of those uh sad facts about old korean cinema and it's true for various uh, cinema from this time i suppose that you gotta work with what you have and in this case they have about 80 percent of a very crisp restoration that really does a great service to the film and uh, 15 minutes or so of uh, key moments in the movie that is obviously watchable but as we talked of off air i'd rather have it in this state rather than 15 minutes taken out just because the print wasn't up to to par i mean totally i saw well i rewatched really the good the bad and the ugly recently and i thought to myself that there's a big uh, torture sequence in the middle of the movie um uh, Lee Van Cleef uh, is uh, trying to squeeze uh, information out of uh, Eli yeah, Warwick's yeah. uh, Tuchel. And that sequence uh, has some missing bits in it. It's available complete but from a different print. They they could have just done insertions of the particular cut bits because they're not very long. There's yeah. a few seconds extra. 
Uh, and they say like, oh, the print was so horrible. And what they present in the extras, in the case of that movie, the print is not ever that, that much horrible. It's not like it's black and white and flickering and it's wrong aspect ratio and shit like that. So I'm glad in the case of The Housemaid that they went with the lesser quality sections to make it seemingly complete. So, so am I wholeheartedly. You know, there, there, there are a few old golden age films that I've seen that have been presented with little bits missing because there were bits missing. And you really, really notice it. I'm so glad that they put the the bad quality 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, in, even though as it goes through, you can actually see little cuts that are obviously just about a second where they've just cut out a bit where it's completely gone. Yeah, yeah, frame cuts essentially that uh, that definitely were unusable. Like, so a character's walking and then he ju- jumps yeah. a few centimeters essentially. So, you know, I would far rather have that and see the whole thing than have it cut out because it's not oh shiny. And the house, before even the housemaid enters, shows a rather like unsettling dynamic between the son and the and the crippled daughter, well, brother and sister. Like the son is making her fall down a step uh, because she saw a rat, and like he's uh, delighting in uh, like teasing his sister to that degree. Ooh, what's going on here? And it's a small house too. I mean, it's a new house, and it's uh, as they're not living in a poor household, but it is a small house. It's super tight, even for a small family like this. And you got that plus in the 1960s, it was not very common, at least in Korea, to shoot in widescreen either. So this is uh, one of those uh, one free free aspect ratio movies. And that works so much better for because there is a claustrophobic nature to this house. Like the kitchen is so small and like the... The yeah. stair, the stair is very uh, steep and all of that. So he, he adds good, yeah, he, he adds these elements of that are fairly unsettling. Like there's some weird dynamic going on here. This family is not like super cheery and everything's awesome before, before the housemaid enters. And obviously they have a rat problem too. So it's a little bit of uh, obviously foreshadowing. Like every movie does foreshadowing even nowadays. But you know when they first introduce the rat poison, that that's going to come up at least one more time in the movie. It actually comes up several times in the movie. Like, let me get the rat poison. They could have... It doesn't matter how obvious you are with that, you know. It's fun, though, because, uh, yeah, I'm sure rat poison's going to come back. Oh, boy, did it ever. Well, yeah, totally. I I think it goes through... uh, That rat thing goes through the film and this is just my opinion but if if you think of the number of times the housemaid stands outside the new house in the rain looking in through the window the windows are really thin and they've got wooden frames and if you look it looks like bars it looks like she's watching a load of little rats running around in a cage and considering what she does to that rat when she finds it first she just picks it up and kills it destroys it that's essentially what she's going to do to the family. It's almost like she's watching the rats that she's going to decimate. And as I say, that's completely just my opinion, but it struck me really strongly. I think it's uh, one slight problem with it. It's fairly slow up until the housemaid enters. I think there's little to no intentions telegraphed. Uh, I mean, I wasn't off board, if you will, I, I, mm. with the movie. I was on board with it, but like it clearly a switch happens when the housemaid enters and it finds such a great flow for all the heinous events that are going to go on after that point uh, and uh, and and that's when the fact that they're shooting in black and white 
I'm so dumb. What what are even color movies made in the 1960s in Korea? Do you know that or there was or black and white was the norm? Black and white was the norm for another good few years. I think it, I think it works for what it is. You know, I, the black and white almost makes it more ominous. It just it works the way the way an old Hitchcock movie works. And I've got something that's reminded me of something else, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, 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 go for it, dude, while we're on the subject of the contrasts of white and dark, which is why black and white is so alluring. Uh, like, like I'm not thinking it's a bad thing. I think it's a wonderful thing for it. But, uh, but, but go ahead if you want to talk about Hitchcock. When you look at that rat poison thing that we've been talking about, there's a whole constant thing of has she poisoned the water that she's given to the son or the daughter or whoever. And there's a scene where she takes a glass of water and takes it up the stairs to give to the son. And it focuses on it. And there's almost a light in the bottom of it. And immediately I saw it. All I could think of was Hitchcock's suspicion where Cary Grant's going up the stairs with a glass of milk with a light in the bottom of it. And it's slightly different, but it, it reeks of it, and you just can't help but think he's he's dealt with Hitchcock here. He's 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 aware. It's that sort of thing that just underlines everything else. Like speaking of style, I mean, there is, it, this is not just point and shoot, but there's some there's some like select uh, style shots here, repeated shot of uh, from the outside of the camera following characters from as they walk outside on on the balconies through uh through one room to another like it opens up the scope of the movie a little bit despite it it's made as a very tight claustrophobic piece but uh, it, it breaks up those uh very straightforward sections with uh select uh, style very well and even sh- shocking imagery fairly early on i'm sure then because it's a shocking image now the imagery of the rat uh, spasming you know it looks real i mean it, I, it does it looks like it's actually i think it is actually happening so, so they probably poisoned or did something to an actual rat in real life unfortunately because it one is dead and the other is just twitching 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 and it's, there's obviously a big musical sting but i'm sure that freaked the fuck out of audiences back then <laughs> because it's in their face yeah that, like it, it's a close shot of the rat and <laughs> There you are. Like he sets a tone that that house is in for a big, big change. So, uh, and any of the kids sense there's something about their demeanor, and uh, yeah, the movie really takes off uh, by that point. And uh, the the actress uh, who plays uh, our housemaid, Lee Yon Shim, she is sort of in. I, I like this choice that she's she wears her attitude on her sleeve. I mean, she oh, that's a sweet girl, but she's of the rebellious kind you know she smokes and stuff like that and i I think that's for me it's not a problem that he kim Young telegraphs that she's trouble um at at all actually because it's kind of part of the fun like oh boy here she comes we know that this means trouble it surely means trouble i love the fact that the first time we meet her in her roommates you know in the closet having a fag the first time we see her she's got a cigarette in her hand and she's smoking it not holding it normally, she's sort of holding it backwards almost. And immediately you see that cigarette, you just think she's trouble. Perfection without saying a word. It's so odd she just stands in the closet like, hiya. <laughs> like this is the first place she, her roommate expects her to be in. It's ironic, her roommate, uh, Miss Cho, um, Ran, she looks like the one that, she looks like a femme fatale really sexy and really commanding presence. I thought, like, okay, here, here's the housemate because she looks like she is 
trouble and could, and it's like um it tricked me the fact that leading to her appearing with the whole letter that she gives to the father husband whatever that would almost do the same thing it makes you think she's she's the evil one she's the one that's conniving to get the other girl out of the picture so she can but of course she's not she's almost an innocent victim i guess yeah, I, I love by the way there's not a whole lot of examples of this but it shows that kim kiran had a visualist in him he's very good at the few montages he does here primarily the one that starts with the first girl that gets suspended when she dies and there's a nicely done montage where we find that out we transition onto a train and i think the camera is moving ever so slightly and then boom we're at the funeral and the camera pushes in and it's this transition montage of traveling that the camera is almost sort of traveling towards the events as well and it's over in like three seconds like it's like a fucking snatch or something like the guy Ritchie movie snatch where like on the plane like taxi on the plane drink on the plane and boom like uh dennis farina's character is in london all of a sudden <laughs> it's quite uh quite a quick like boom 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 montage that's good fun and but you know we mentioned housemate all of all of the time but again back to the fact that uh, the man is Dong Six character's uh, con- he, he seems like he's constantly hit on. Uh, you know, fine, but he is a weak man, and he he's uh, pretty cold, and he feels like he's pushed like uh, slightly over the edge by all this attention. But I don't know. Yeah, as much to blame. I don't know if it's right to say, but definitely part of the problem here, like the part of the part of the human nature problem and reprehensible human trait kind of problem here i mean obviously the the housemaid i know we refer to her as the housemaid what's her what's her name again uh she has a vindictive side to her you know if she doesn't get what she wants she's she is going to push for you know harsher events but uh and she is the one that kind of uh entraps him sexually but that doesn't mean he's innocent at all because that is just weakness. He like he has sex with her in his own house. I don't know if the wife is at home at that point. She presumably is. You know that's uh, that sets the movie off. This whole almost like the train sequence. It moves so well and and it's both dark and heinous. And again, there I say a lot of fun. It's because I, I I think I dare to admit that it is fun based on the ending, uh, the very final ending. Like, okay. He didn't mean much by this. <laughs> so, by the way, I wanted to ask you, this is 1960. He seems to be pushing uh, sexuality as far as he can when uh, her, uh, Myung-sook covers her breasts after being in the rain. And, like, is this him pushing it as hard as he can for 1960, or was this acceptable on some level anyway? This this was him pushing it. I mean, when she, especially when in that scene you mentioned, and when she takes off the top of her dress, you can't, you don't particularly see anything, but the fact that she's from the back naked down, and you can almost see a curve of her side. That's that's huge for 1960. It does also have to be said that if you look at the the characters that they use, it's big in terms of that as well. The the main male character Kim Jin Q. And his wife, Ji Jung Ru, were, if you like, I've mentioned Cary Grant before, but they were the Cary Grant and Doris Day of their day. They were huge. They were in thousands of films, numerous films per year. They were the idols. So him being lusted after was natural for audiences to see him being 
brutalized by this housemaid was just even more shocking. And the housemaid actress had only done, what, two, three films? So they've really pulled someone that's just completely, virtually unknown and said, look, this is an evil woman so that they could get away with it. It just, it works like a, it works like an absolute charm. After this sequence is punctuated by, because this is the sin, like, oh man, it's on now. And there's a scene outside the house where lightning hits a tree, acting as punctuation to this sequence where he falls for this temptation or like that is on the nose but is it too on the nose Paul you think or is it just why not (laughs) like that's fun I think it works it's so excessive that everything that scene you you look at it and you think wow it never struck me as oh that's too much because everything else is twisted up to 11 I don't see it as out of place it worked for me the whole thing worked for me I mean the amount of the amount of falling downstairs I mean, that brings to mind whenever at one point where she's begging him to not go back to his wife, she's got her her arms around his leg and he's walking down the stairs. And as he walks down each step, you see her head banging off the step as she goes down. So lightning on a tree, neither here nor there. It just works. It, it's an excellent part of the atmosphere. It's a kind of a shot that you don't see in movies. A lightning storm they could do. Here they rig up a little explosive charge to act as you know, the 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 thunder and the thunderstorm and actually, you know, hitting the tree and stuff like that. So uh, I thought that was like, well, just go a little bit deeper technically to to punctuate the sequence. I, I, I like that choice a whole lot. And uh, it, it totally sets off the movie in, uh, in this uh, uncontrollable fashion. Like there's plenty of darkness ahead, as we said, human nature being what it is. And uh, you experience this as a dark and... Uh, you know, unsettling movie, partly, but because of the lengths he goes to to punish each and every character, which we won't spoil. There's several deaths in the movie, right? Not just a rat. And so, <laughs> you know, in this case, it's very alluring that based on the fact that this man is weak, falls for the allure of intimacy. She's a very beautiful young woman, of course, but that that sets off these events and you know obviously how far this movie goes it's so like wow he's he's going there it's not overly gory of course it's not gory at all but because they're reprehensible these acts are on screen they're not hinted at what we see happen what happens to the characters we see it's more fascinating the deeper you get than once you realize that it's just not him and the housemaid that are capable of thinking reprehensible thoughts it's uh well we can tease it's the wife also i don't know how much it says about korea like how much it connects to a korean reality maybe it does but to me i mean it's just so much fun that he doesn't stop at those two he involves almost everyone even the kids to a degree like they're they're not like uh, by players or anything not at all it's just Good, good, dark fun. It really is. Uh, even prior to the code, I had a good time. I didn't think this was heartbreaking or anything. Did, did that occur early on in your when you first watched it? That is, I think this is not as serious as it might have been. It's it's on the verge of a little entertaining, uh, small stage play piece almost because it's set in almost entirely in that house. Really, I mean, even before that coda, the first time I watched it, 
I thoroughly enjoyed it as a, as you say, a theatrical piece, really, because it is right through to the end. It's just, it pulls you in. And while you can't believe what you're seeing, you almost just accept it because it's so over the top, but in such an entertaining way. Yeah, you're really tossing to this house of this house of horrors of the world where anything goes, and uh, there's a melodramatic acting style here, which might be a sign of the decade rather than Kim Ki Young's weakness in directing. Like when people flail themselves onto a wall and tell them how sad I am, you know, it's it's it seems like more an indication of the time than uh, than anything else. Yeah. But they're, they're still all excellent at immersing us into this escalating uh, violent atmosphere. And uh, we, we feel pretty horrified even by words and not just actions. Uh, especially how callous uh, the husband and wife turn out to be. Even when the kids badmouth the housemaid to her face. Like they're uh, hor- horrible little shits too. And it all like, again, without spoiling it, it, it escalates to a quite primal, like last 20-30 minutes as the deaths pile up. And... Uh, it's fun. It's really fun. Uh, one hour and 50 minutes of fun or something like that. Uh, do, do you think it says anything about a Korean reality too? Or is it made for entertainment purposes, you think, when all is said and done? I think it's made for entertainment. Of course, he's always going to say something about reality. And there's there's one statement that the wife makes toward just before the coda section where she actually just says none of this would have happened if we hadn't built the new house. It just does that whole thing of of whether you let it pass or you think, oh, um, it's just sort of saying Koreans were starting to step forward away from, again, traditionalism. And Kim Ki-young was saying, if you want to look, this is what I'm saying. Stepping away from, from traditionalism is going to ruin your life. You're going to get evil women heading towards you because you're greedy. I, I think it works beautifully on that level, but it's more entertaining than anything else. And I think that can be said of most of Kim Ki Young's films, regardless of how dark his stories are. They always have entertainment at the, the core because, as as you said, he makes films to fit his tastes. He makes films that he would enjoy and enjoyments the hub of the whole thing and like the ending without revealing it but i i, I can imagine it, it's essentially it breaks the fourth wall okay we, we can say that and essentially i think if audiences were rattled were rattled before i think that ending is going to rattle them more because you got a character talking to you i <laughs> watch out <laughs> like bye bye the end <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's all—it's like the moral of the story that they put on screen there, whether they mean it or not. Uh, but it—it's kind of fun. That it, you know, even fucking Plan Nine from Outer Space has a thing before, and I believe after. Like this is a story about this and this and this about when hap- what happens when people do this and this and this. So be careful out there. So it, it's a kind of a convention that you saw in even uh, B movies in America, I think. Totally. But I, I like it. I didn't expect it. I remember this sequence that started the movie, and this is a continuation of it. But I didn't think that was the framing device. But it's all good fun. I mean, um, it's a classic. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, more than I thought I would. I didn't think it was going to be this uh, swift and entertaining. And uh, But I didn't know anything of it. I mean, I know it was a classic we were going into. And I went in without any uh, 
expectations really which is uh, kind of fun that it surprised me in this way so yeah i'm glad it did huge recommendation and interest peaked in what was it between between her knees between vernies <laughs> that's the next one <laughs> go and search for it online if you want to see a korean man dressed as michael jackson while his girlfriend looks to get things between her knees far away it's worth a look I don't know, what's Korean cinema nights? Korean cinema uncut. <laughs> Dear Lord. All right, uh, any other notes uh, before we uh, go availability routes? I've got two very quick things to say. Any of you who have been getting into Korean cinema and have maybe looked at In Context Revivre that we mentioned in the last podcast or have followed the big stars over the years, there's one actor called Ang Sun Ki who is a huge star. Nowhere to Hide, Ahn Sun Ki, playing the largely, largely uh, mute assassin in Nowhere to Hide. Exactly, and he's in Im Quantech's latest film, Revivre. When you watch The Housemaid, look very closely at the son, the young eight-year-old boy, because he is Ahn Sun Ki. Oh, really? I did not even read the cast list that deeply. It was his first ever role. His father was a drinking buddy of Kim Ki-young. Kim Ki-young was looking for a I'll, young... I'll, 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 I'll put my son in your movie, totally. He'll, he'll be fine with it. He doesn't need money. I'll take his money. It's exactly right. He said, I need a boy for my film. He went, here's my son. And that's how Ang Sun Ki got into acting. When he did The Housemaid, everybody started saying, he's a great child actor. It got him his next role. It got him his next role. And he's now one of the the biggest Korean actors ever. But yeah, have a look. It's Anson Ki as an eight-year-old boy. And, and not bad, too. I mean, uh, for someone who was thrust into it, he's pretty good. He's part of he's part of the ensemble that does very well. Totally. And the, the only other little note, apart from saying, watch The Housemaid, it's phenomenal. If anyone is interested in the way sexuality has grown in Korean cinema over the years, head over to hangulcelluloid.com, click on the essays section, essays, he said, and the first essay is essentially about, it was a 20-minute talk I gave on sexuality in Korean cinema, and it talks about Kim Ki-young, insect woman, the housemaid, and moves through the 70s, 80s, through to 2012, 13. Um, So if you're bothered, you're interested, go and have a little look. As for availability, there was a DVD release prior out of Korea of the housemaid that is now out of print yeah, because and that was uh, based on the uh, because uh, the release date I believe is after the 2008 restoration. I think that was it. There's a little pretext about the restoration before the movie starts. Uh, but the the Criterion Collection in the US has the title in their library, where it's uh, as far as I know only available in on Blu-ray anyway in the Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project box set. So it's quite expensive to get, and I don't, I'm don't. i not sure it's available on its own. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's available to stream on the US uh, streaming service Hulu Plus, because the Criterion catalog is available there. So if you're a subscriber to Hulu Plus, you can watch uh, Criterion movies galore on there for a very, very low price uh, per month. Like they have all the Satoichi movies, for instance. So if you don't have the big Satoichi Blu-ray box set, you can watch... Uh, the Satoichi movies on uh, on Hulu Plus, but what I got uh, 
Uh, just uh, I don't have Hulu Plus currently. I I had a subscription before. Uh, I rented it on the US iTunes store because you can get the housemate separately from the box set uh, for uh, like uh, four bucks uh, watching in HD. And I know I'm registered in Sweden, but there are legal means to get stuff on the US iTunes store. In short, register a US account, and there are sites that allow you to buy actual valid legal. Uh, like a coupon codes. So you, you put in money into the system, is, is my point. Uh, so you can get it there, and for four bucks uh, to stream it in HD, it's worth it. But uh, I would rather have a separate Blu ray release because I don't know anything about the other titles in the World Cinema Project box set, and it's quite an expensive one. Criterion Collection titles are expensive anyway, but I, I would love a separate release for, um, for the housemate, actually. Uh, so that's, uh, that's that. But next time, uh, there's nothing announced, but Paul and I. We like to mostly uh, pick something older from the Kofa YouTube channel. This is actually not on the Kofa YouTube channel for whatever reason. Ask around if you know, Paul. Uh, I'm not too sure it's due to Criterion having the titles because that's for America. And the Korean Film Archive are the ones that co-restored it uh, with the help of even Kim Ki-young's son, I believe. As we spoke prior to the podcast, the fact that it wasn't on Kofa came as a massive shock to me. I just, I don't get it. Whether it is the Criterion thing, I don't know. But as you say, it's US, so who knows? Yeah, I even tried, like, because there was an unsubbed version from a private YouTube account that was just the made. So I thought, like, t- typing in that, but no, I, I didn't come up with anything. So, uh, But uh, regardless, that that's how we like to pick so something from the Kofa channel and something uh, slightly newer, I suppose, um, a few decades later. Uh, so we'll announce that further down the line. But... We're not fully done, ha ha ha, because going up at the same time as this episode, like, fool ya, we're not done. We are doing a website-exclusive bonus chat, uh, me and Paul, on the Housemaid remake slash reimagining or whatever uh, that director feels (laughs) it is that was released in 2010 in Korea on the movie's 50th anniversary, nonetheless. Is it 50? Yeah, 50. Yeah. My, my math is. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, please follow us over to the website to hear this because it will not be on Stitcher, this bonus episode, nor iTunes or any other podcatcher. You can only stream it or download it from our website. So uh, I think that's. Uh, I'm interested because I heard that the remake isn't necessarily, you know, beat by beat a remake. It's. Uh, the scenario is what it is, but um, what, what, what was his name? Im Sang-su? Im Sang-su goes his uh, directions it sounded like m sangsu just so you know is politics mixed with overt sexuality so it sort of fits with the whole idea of kim ki young but i'm glad you saw the original first ken and i can't wait to hear what you think of the reimagining i'll be interested to see if you if you'd like it in any way shape or form i think it's shorter even than the original uh, the house made a remake which is uh, strange. Like uh, I, I had a little cheeky joke uh, to uh, when uh, Paul said it's 107 minutes, and my cheeky joke that made me laugh. And I'm sorry if that sounds disgusting, but 107 minutes—that's the first half, right? Well, no, exactly. You know, I got the DVD out of the drawer and looked at it in the, you know, with just the living room light on and eyesight's not what it was. And I thought 187 minutes, and I immediately thought, well, that's about par for the course. Oh, how am I going to talk Ken into this? And then when I look properly, it's 107. So very short. 
for a Korean film even today. So we'll see. We'll see what you think of it. Right on. So um, yeah, and this is widely available, obviously. Many disc releases all over the world and even on streaming. So uh, but uh, so catch us if you like over there in the bonus episode. But for now, what Korean cinema is over uh, for now for you, uh, all you other listeners, iTunes and uh, Stitcher and what have you. And uh, we are available on podcastonfire.com along with other shows on Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, and we do commentaries and uh, even uh, sleazy movies and ninja movies, of course. We got we got the Golden Ninja podcast over there. So that, that's uh, plenty of choices for you. We also do bonus episodes as we established. Uh, our email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Leave a like on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Join the discussion group. Uh, type in podcast on fire network to find us and uh, I'll approve you for sure if you leave a request. Uh, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire uh, is where you'll find our tweets and uh, my reviews uh, over at sogoodreviews.com is uh, concerns uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan and ninja movies mostly but uh, some dips into adult oriented uh, cheap uh, cheap sex entertainment over there <laughs> that, like it's no Kim Ki Young like deep uh, serious sexual explorations here it's just uh sexcapades uh wacky sexcapades mostly from the 90s in hong kong and that's what i review i also do small video reviews so that's lizykvideo.com and my twitter handle is uh at so good reviews what's korean cinema is available on itunes and if you are an avid user please leave a star rating and uh, even um a written comment a sentence or two about the show and uh, submit a review we would very much appreciate that and finally stream us on stitcher radio if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device either via their website or the applications available on the apple app store or google play and other than uh than sex talk over at hangolcelluloid.com there's some other stuff over there so so plug away buddy hangolcelluloid.com that's my website. Um, I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash My Twitter handle's at hangelcelluloid. There's talk of sex. There's talk of women in Korean cinema. But there's talk about lots of other stuff as well. Go and have a look if you're interested. For now, see you for the next uh, big official Watch Korean Cinema. But uh, for anyone who's going to follow us over to the uh, bonus section, see you over there and hope you enjoy the extended coverage of The Housemate. Therefore, so for now, anyway. I have been Kelly and with me was Paul Quinn, so say bye, buddy. Take care. See you later. Bye.